0: Welcome to the podcast. Now Listen to Me Catawba Island Fun Facts, Lore, Anecdotes, and sometimes even a little history. This podcast is brought to you by the Catawba Island Historical Society. These stories and conversations, not necessarily 100% historically accurate, are told by lifelong Catawba Island resident Don Rhodes. Born in 1931, Don was an integral part of the community his entire life until he passed away at age 90 in 2021. Don's passion for preserving the artifacts and stories of Catawba Island led to establishing the Historical Society and the Catawba Island Museum. The trustees of the Historical Society share these stories with you, largely unedited for content, so you can get a glimpse of what it was like to sit with Don and hear the stories in his own words. These recorded stories are a complement to all the contributions Don made to the History Museum and the entire community. Episode eight is the final installment of the Don Rhodes presentation on the Wine and Peach Industries. If you have listened to episodes six and seven, you will know that this final portion has audio quality issues. We shared it because we wanted the presentation to be complete. So if you want to try to give it a listen, that's great. If you have a difficult time hearing the podcast, then you can feel free to move on to episode 9, also released today.
1: Open these up like this. You put that right down in the basket, like that, you can dump your piece down into the basket without that was the idea of that. These things were always fuzzier than hell. They're always patched, not taken great care, good care of. Them. So they're kind of upset. I can't get off my neck. <laughs> didn't touch on that too much, but here's the thing, this packing house, the, Qatar, the Union Cataw Island Packing Company, or fruit company, was still going after the turn of the century, but by 1905, 1905, they were starting to get ice in railroad cars, and they called them refrigerator cars and which meant that they could ship fruit further inland to better and lower markets at a higher price. They just weren't limited to Detroit, Connecticut, and uh to Toledo and those places. So the folks were starting to take their peaches to either Danbury across the bridge, and not across the bridge, but the left-hand side of the bridge, or to Gypsum. There were two fruit companies the Island Gypsum and Gypsum, or the Danbury and Danbury. By the 1920s, there was very little fruit at all shipped from the Catawba Dock, with the exception of grapes in the fall. That was just kind of a tradition. By the early 1930s, very little fruit was being shipped, all being shipped by the railroads from Gypsum and Danbury, dock down here was used for excursions now our first ferry boat that hauled cars 1933 was at erie isle prior to that time they had two uh, newman had two small gas tugs out of Sandusky, the messenger and the mascot that pushed tugs or barges alongside and hauled the cars back and forth to hold them on barges but they had boats that too, but that's another story for another time. But if you look through here, this is all. There's hundreds of politicians. Every hay rag, when it was loaded, held a hundred bushels Sometimes on a weekend, we would have two or three of those. Not, not un, not uncommon. But people would come out here in their old cars, and a lot of people didn't have new cars, and then they would buy five and six bushel for the family, and they'd just circle around the island. One guy would want a dollar and a half a bushel, the next guy would want 85 cents, and they'd finally find someplace where if they furnish their own baskets. They could get them for sixty cents a bushel, or if you want a field or orchard to pick your own, maybe for forty cents, or off the ground the farmer's giving to you. Times were tough. A lot of these guys. But here, for example, that's the workforce at the Island Gypsum Fruit Company. There. Look at all the people during during the season. look, at, look inside. All the baskets. The baskets of fruit as far as you can see. This is the last two weeks. And here's some early pictures of the Catata. This here is the Catata docks. There are, these are loads of pieces that are going on those folks, those boats to uh, 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 Detroit and Cleveland. Mostly Detroit. That was a big market up there. Another thing I didn't talk about was uh, right around the turn of the century, right around the turn of the century, we had a phenomena out here with this the sounds they scale. Very, very uh, damaging to fruit trees, primarily peaches. And there was two theories. One, spray the tree with crude oil. Remember the crude oil oils that were dug back in here? I talked about them one day. okay the next theory was you um, sprayed them with a different type of soap, they called it. Soap or soup they called it. Now, hadn't had a oil emulsion works on one side of the tavern, which is up at the uh, um, Sunnyside bed and breakfast. That's my old our old, old state. That's where his facility was and Owens had his facility as you go up the hill where Clint Smith's now developing that property over there and good for him. But anyhow, those are the two thirties. Um, they both seem to work a little bit, but San the scale San Jose scale literally destroyed many of the orchards here. And the state in 199 had to pass laws if you didn't spray or take care of your orchard, you'll find, and they come in and either cut it down or burn it to protect the rest of it. So, so fruit growing out here wasn't always. Is one of those we'd like to think think about, it. but here's this is all evidence of growing fruit after the Old fruit companies, old old pictures. you're welcome to look through it. I didn't want to talk. I could talk forever. on all this old this But uh, now here's here's a picture that's typical of either pre-World War II or right after World War II. This is the Disher family, and their. Right down here, as you're close to the bridge, and there's some pretty long road. I, I knew well they're all dead now, all set correctly But you see the peaches in the bushel basket, and, you know, all that wire handles. You're standing beside, right there. Listen. Uh-huh. You see how it jets out into the? Uh, yeah, right here. Okay. Yeah. Now, out here at the point, there's a little. T- uh, that's it. Pull off. Is that the? Yeah, that's it. Okay. I wondered if that was what it was. You see what happened? The rock uh, cliffhouse set up here, which burned in '67. Cliffhouse right. set up here, and it's the road. And <laughs> this is the warehouse. That's the fish house. Okay. Peggy's burned this down, sleeping in it, way back when. Then the fire department burnt this down, later around. And what you see are those pilings out there. Pylons. And that's the courage mine in the background, and that's Mouse Island. Yeah. But that's an old, old dock. That goes back to the 1840s. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. How did they build those docks? I got about a four-page poem this dock was built here, in 1882, uh, with, well, most of all, uh, got they cut timber and wintertime, big long, skewed them up like logs, and then carried a lot of the ice into and made them of cribs. And then they had big long augers that drove holes down through the corners, and they drove metal stakes and metal rods down through there, and tied those corners together. And then those cribs were put on the ice, then they filled those cribs with rocks until the weight on the rocks in the cribs caused the crib to sink. And that was the foundation for the dock. That's how they continued to go out like that. And what they, what, they, what they found the hard way was if they put round field stone that we like to get rid of foot left from the glacier, the waves would cause those rocks to roll in there and then that would, they would brick out the side. So what they did, they ended up using a lot of the early sharp edge and dull light and limestone that they didn't want to roll as much. But that's how they made these docks. They made the crib filled with rocks that it sink and then they kept going on out. It didn't have pile readers. Let me just tell you a little sidelight here. Nothing to do with today's lecture. But about 10 years ago, during a low water cycle in the western basin of Lake Erie, Miller's boats were bummed. On the bottom here, so they put a barge out there with a with a clam digger on it, backhoe type thing, to dredge it out. Now they took all these dredgings back in the woods and dumped them. Okay, they went down two or three feet to get more water. Now all of a sudden, (laughs) these kids are showing up in the house with hands full of arrowheads. Oh, and the mother said, well, where are you getting on that? Well, on that pile of rocks. The, the point is this, folks, and I don't want to get into that today. But remember what I'm telling you. Lake Erie was formed, will we now Lake Erie, 14,700 years ago, <laughs> up to 12,700. It was two to 300 feet deeper than it is today. Now from 12,700 to 4,700 years ago, we went through a warm, dry cycle and the upper Great Lakes did not feed Lake Erie and Lake Erie became mostly dry. So the best Indian sites in the area are underwater on Lake Erie. Now, 3,500 years ago, there was a lot of glacial heat and things happened that the water came back to these hills out here and we got our islands. So as you and I know it, Lake is only 3,500 years old. So take care of it. Okay, folks, that's it.
0: If you made it all the way through episode eight, then bravo to you. Thanks for being a patient listener. Thank you for listening to Now Listen to Me. Catawba Island fun facts, lore, anecdotes, and sometimes even a little history, a production of the Catawba Island Historical Society. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please visit our website at com, or come visit the Catawba Island History Museum in person located in historic Union Chapel near the beautiful shores of Lake Erie in Ohio. Until next time, happy history.